Good morning, Nashville. My name is Braden Gall, and this is the 440 for Wednesday, August 11th. Today on the show, we've got some golden nuggets from Nashville SC and Tim Sullivan of the Club and Country podcast. We have a bizarre new rule in the NFL, some quarterback battles across the SEC, including in Tennessee. But of course, we begin with practice updates from the Tennessee Titans training camp. Mike Vrabel and John Robinson right now are heading into every single practice trying to find pieces that they trust. They need a place kicker that they can trust. They need a right tackle that they can trust. They need a pass rusher that they can trust. That's their job. Find someone that they can trust. And when it comes to your home, the only name you need to know when it comes to trust is the Kingston Group. If you're making a big decision to go through a major remodel or custom build, you need to remember the name the Kingston Group. Their process is all about trust. They build their trust on the front end, and they prove it with their work on the back end. BuildKG.com is the website. Go look at their work, BuildKG.com. Remember the name, the Kingston Group. They are Nashville's award-winning, locally-owned, custom home and remodeling firm. One that you can trust. Here are a few Titans camp updates from Tuesday's practice. Again, just one more practice before traveling on Thursday and an actual football game on Friday sort of, against the Falcons. Uh, Among those players, of course, not at practice on Tuesday, uh, Julio Jones, Harold Landry, Ben Jones, Nate Davis, Danico Autry, Kendall Lamb, Dane Crookshank, those were the big ones there. Uh, Of course, at practice, A.J. Brown was back out at practice and looked as good as A.J. Brown has, has always looked. The rest of his receiving core, as we've talked about, Marcus Johnson, Chester Rogers, continuing to make big plays in camp and practice have, I think, separated themselves from the rookies, as I mentioned. Uh, they are now probably fourth and fifth on the depth chart behind A.J. Julio Jones and Josh Reynolds at number three. Uh, Anthony Ferkser has had a great camp, and yet again, probably the catch of the day. He had one over Bayard last week. He had another one on Tuesday, who beat Amani Hooker on a long Ryan Tannehill pass down the sideline. An excellent play by Anthony Ferkser. He is really developing and showing us his pass-catching ability. The question about Anthony Ferkser and his upside in this Titans offense is, can he stay on the field for all three downs when they need a big guy blocking? Or is it more Kari Blossom game, Luke Stocker, Jeff Swaim, those kind of guys that maybe take those those snaps away from Anthony Ferkser? But every time he's on the field and gets thrown at, Generally, he's making plays this preseason, so I expect really nice things from Anthony Ferkser. Other than that, Ryan Tannehill was not particularly great. Intercepted in the end zone, a couple other passes knocked down. He was airmailing a bunch of passes as well. Again, the starting offensive line is not winning battles because they're not really the starting offensive line, so you have to take that into account. So I'm not going to be too hard on Tannehill, nor should anybody else. It's not really the offense at some point, and I don't know how many reps they're going to get in the preseason. You do want to see this offense at its full complement of pieces actually executing plays together at full speed. So that's going to have to happen uh, at some point. They they did practice kick returns on Tuesday. It's only like the second or third time they've done that all camp. Darrington Evans, once again, was your guy taking uh, first team kickoffs, I guess. Chester Rogers was back there. Jeremy McNichols as well. Chester Rogers in line. He's number one for the punt returning duties and right now number two for kick returning duties. So him and Marcus Johnson, I think, have, have earned their way onto this roster for sure. Otherwise, that's about it from Titans camp on Tuesday. So some news around the SEC. Joey Gatewood at Kentucky is taking first team reps under center at quarterback there. Of course, Joe Milton and Hendon Hooker sort of rotating in Knoxville. I I don't know if it means anything just yet. Obviously, we're still weeks away from ever needing to make a decision for either of these these teams. And I think with two new offenses, a new offensive coordinator in Kentucky 
and, and a totally new coaching staff in Knoxville, I doubt that the guy who starts the first snap starts every single game and plays every single important drive of the season. It feels like both of these situations could be situations where it's going to take more than just a couple of weeks at camp to decide who the quarterback is. Again, I still am on the record thinking that Harrison Bailey will be the best option for this Josh Heupel offense. I think Will Levis, the Penn State transfer, is the best option for the Liam Cohen offense at Kentucky. We shall see. It should be fascinating to watch all six guys compete for the job, probably rotating more than one time during the regular season. So you see the news. It is of note. It is important to keep in mind. But really, the message is about both of these quarterback battles. Don't take too much stock right now. There is a long, long way to go. Well, it is Wednesday, and it is time for some golden nuggets. And the boys over at Club & Country, the podcast of record, covering Nashville SC in this city. Tim Sullivan, Wes Bowling, those guys, of course, every single week have really good, high-quality nuggets of information to make you guys smarter soccer fans, to be more educated and more thoughtful soccer fans in the city of Nashville. And this week, of course, we heard from Tim Sullivan about the job that Nashville SC did against Inter-Miami in the terrible loss on Sunday evening in South Florida. Yeah, all of, all of that was pretty much to keep Hani Mukhtar, CJ Sapong, and Randall Leal fresh for the weekend game. And that really doesn't seem like it worked out exactly like you would have hoped because those three guys did start against Miami. And quite frankly, Nashville has a reputation for playing up to the top opposition and down to the lower opposition. And the guys that aren't the entrenched starters performed pretty well against New England. And then when you put the entrenched starters back into the game, it just doesn't ring quite the same. And I I don't know if those guys felt a little rusty because they'd watched a little bit too much or if they were tired from each getting about half an hour in the New England game. But something wasn't right, certainly in the first half. What's interesting is I thought they did a great job defensively against New England where Mm -hmm. New England had a few chances, but most of them came from outside the box, right? They did a great job, I think, of packing it in and sort of keeping those dangerous chances from taking place. We saw a lot more of that from Miami. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you look at the tail of the two halves, obviously the first half was pretty much exclusively the guys that were the best available lineup and there were changes made at halftime. But despite playing that top lineup from the beginning, Nashville really struggled in creation for the first half. There are 0.06 expected goals. That's essentially a 6% chance of scoring a goal. That did change in the second half. Nashville got 0.58 expected goals, so about 58% chance. But only CJ Sapong's header managed to go in. And Yonder Cotty's missed header was a basically a 33% chance, a, a 0.33 expected goal attempt per opta. And that's something that, you know, you mentioned at the top that fans are not particularly happy with Cotty's. And when you have a wide open header to potentially win a game, and then not only does it basically go down as a complete air ball, but your team then manages to go down and give up the winner at the other end. It's really tough, and Cotties is a guy who I think fans have been a little bit unfair to over the course of his time in Nashville. He's been fairly productive compared to his teammates, but when that happens, that's really tough. And, you know, kind of going back to the expected goals thing, defensively, both teams kind of picked up the pace offensively, and and defensively, Miami was able to kind of take it to Nashville a little bit more. They had a 0.18 XG at the half, and they got all the way to 1.4 for the game. So they were far more prolific in each half. And Miami definitely, I think, was a deserved winner, unfortunately, according to the expected goals. That was Tim Sullivan. And basically the root of that entire conversation is Miami earned it. 
I think Nashville SC fans already know that, but the point is if you didn't watch the game, if you didn't watch the match and you don't exactly know what happened, Miami's one of the worst teams in the league, Nashville SC, one of the better teams in the league, and in fact, it was the worst match that they played the entire season. Miami earned it playing one of their best matches for the entire season. Hopefully, this is a wake-up call for Nashville SC to reemerge and improve on its questionable play of late, in particular on the road. If you want more Nashville SC content, make sure you are tuned in to the Club and Country podcast every single Tuesday with Wes Bowling and Tim Sullivan right here on the 440 Sports Network. In some really genuinely good and fun sports news, Tennessee's Nolensville Little League team has earned a trip to Williamsport and will play for the Southeast Region Championship. That's the Little League World Series. Of course, we went through this a couple of years ago with the team from Middle Tennessee who went up there and almost won the whole stinking thing. Yes, they are dressed absolutely 100% like Vanderbilt Commodores, but who cares? It's a bunch of kids competing for a championship, creating memories for the rest of their lives. It is absolute, pure, unadulterated joy and sports competition at its finest. You should appreciate it, and I will actually watch it. So the NFL Communications Office sent out an email on Tuesday with some game and rule officials updates. After sifting through them, one of the biggest nuggets in there is that game officials have been instructed to strictly enforce taunting rules in games after the NFL saw an increase in taunting last year. Two taunting penalties could result in an automatic ejection. In addition, the taunting player may be fined and or suspended depending on the severity. Look, I am not a fan of poor sportsmanship and taunting in general, but I don't think it should be as dangerous or as costly to the team as, let's say, targeting a player's helmet, targeting a quarterback's knees. When you're trying to physically injure someone in a way that could have permanent life-altering damage done... We're trying to legislate that out of the game. Everyone understands the purpose of the targeting call, even if we all hate that it's wildly inconsistent. But taunting, is this really the pro- is this really a problem in the sport? Is it really that big of a deal? Can you go over and talk to the guy before throwing the flag and maybe ejecting a player from a game and altering the course of a game because he was excited about a play? Everybody is pro-good sportsmanship. We all want to be that, but it's also a game. Between people getting paid millions of dollars to compete at a very high level against each other, you can let them have a little bit of fun. I don't think you have to suck all of the fun out of the entire game. The celebration thing, it's worked, it's paid off, it's now a branded part of the sport. Do we all want to see taunting in like a terrible way? Of course not. But is it that big of a deal that players should be getting ejected and fined for taunting? Probably not, NFL. You're overthinking this one. The 440 is brought to you every single day by the Kingston Group, Nashville's locally owned custom home and remodeling firm. They're an award-winning group that's been doing work in this market for over a decade for a reason. They are trustworthy. Go to the website, buildkg.com, give them a call, talk with them about your home, and let them create something that you not only love, but that will make you money as well. Buildkg.com is the website. That's the Kingston Group. Thank you guys all for listening. As a reminder, please go to thenashvillescene.com and vote in the best of for anything on the 440 Sports platform. Any of the shows, this one right here, all the other ones on the platform, please go vote for them. We are not above shilling. We are not above begging for votes, so go do it. Uh, of course, you can follow me on Twitter, Braden Gall, at Braden Gall. Again, thank you all for listening. This has been the 444 Wednesday, August 11th.
The 440 is a production of 440 Media, written and produced by Braden Gall, music by William Tyler. 